Good morning, Covenant Fellowship. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Please stand as we get started with our time of praise and worship. a good time to come and worship amen well i advise you to stay away from me at a measurable distance and uh i mean i'll just say thank goodness for deodorant and cologne uh because uh i i did not have a shower last night or this morning and uh because i have no water last night or this morning i was telling i was telling brad I went out last night and uh, was going to, Sam wanted a fire, and real quickly I was kind of let the ashes build up, so I said, let me clean it out real quick, the fire will burn better, and I went out to our little storage room in the garage, of course it was dark, and opened, or I was walking, I felt something, I opened the door, I said, what's on the floor? I turned it on, water just like pouring out of our hot water heater at 8.30 last night, so, so about 11 o'clock last night I got everything cleaned up to a certain degree except for myself so that's hence stay at a distance I would advise you uh, I don't I don't think I don't smell anything personally but that doesn't mean <laughs> it doesn't so for the first time I get to uh, go and experience what it might be like to replace a hot water heater what are you gonna say brother well I should have maybe I should have swung by last night so, <laughs> oh, ask you. <laughs> well, I may be calling you this afternoon if I don't get some type of resolution. But so it was adventurous. Then God bless my wife Sam is some others. I know Charlotte and Terry are very sick, but my wife is at home sick, and so uh, I was telling uh, Robert and Margaret how can you be happy that your wife's sick? I said, because she's not sick of me at this time. She's really sick. And, uh, but, so she's at home with no water and, uh, 
and in bed with the chills and coughing. And so uh, pray for her because she's not a happy camper right now. So, uh, and others that are sick. So we just keep them in prayer. But uh, it can always be worse. Amen. So glad you're here today. God's Word takes care of a lot. If you're joining us online, thank you for being with us. Uh, we got folks standing by to say hi, let them know you're there. But we want to be a blessing. We want to be able to pray for you. Bottom right corner, you see a tab for prayer. It's private. It's secure. only goes to one source. But let us know how we can be praying for you. But we're honored to have you with us this morning. Uh, there's not a lot going on right now. Uh, we had a great day cleaning up. Thank you if you uh, had the time to swing by and help with church cleanup. It went very quickly. Uh, a lot of folks and got it back in shape. So uh, thank you for that. And so that went well. Uh, I said not much going on in the month of January. We have a Lord's Supper coming up shortly. There'll be announcements about that. What I do want to bring to your attention, uh, we made a decision at the end of last year. We are going to... For the most part, all new platforms on which the church operates, from our webpage to our online giving uh, to our interaction as far as the music and slides you see, uh, we found a system that's used by multiple uh, amount of churches. We did a lot of research on it, uh, put a lot into it, and found out that we there's a source out there called Subsplash that gives you every single platform out there uh, for everything that we do. We have been using five, six, I think seven different platforms to pull off church, so to speak. So not to get too deep in it right now, but we are going to be rolling out here very, very quickly. In the next coming weeks, we're hoping by the first quarter we have it all seamless, but it should go faster than that. One good thing that's going to come out of this, out of the many that are one, I think we'll all appreciate uh, while many of us are not on social media platforms, and I fully understand that and respect that aspect, but we do use that a lot for our church announcements. And I know we get a lot of times, well, I'm not on Facebook or that. I didn't see the message, and that's fair. This new system, anytime we put anything out on uh, social media for the church platforms, everybody will get both a text and an email about everything that takes place. So you don't have to rely on Facebook, the web page, or anything. Uh, you will now, you will start getting a lot more as long as you're linked in, and we'll show you how to do that to the church address. Then anytime anything takes place, anything on the schedule that comes about, you'll get a text and an email supporting that and all the information you need. So that'll be one very nice feature for us as the church body goes and then a lot of it is behind the scenes. It'll be very helpful as far as the church, how it operates. It will, those of us, uh, Sam and I do it, those that give online, either by text or by uh, auto draft or anything else, if you give online, that will be a change there. But we will walk you through that individually and, and help you with that. So don't worry about that. It'll just be a one-time process. So enough about that, but you'll start hearing more about that here in the next week or so as we start rolling out that new uh, new platform. So we're excited about that. Uh, what I'm really excited about is this series we are starting at the first of the year here. As we're going to walk through the book of James, and uh, I've been, all my studies for going back several months has been building up to this series. Extremely excited where God's going to take us through this uh, and how, you know, uh, just how relevant it is to our current walk, especially in the times we are today. Uh, 
that God's Word is still relevant. So I encourage you over the next several weeks, stay plugged in, stay uh, you know, engrafted to this series. And it's going to take us a long ways. I think it's going to be very enjoyable for all of us. Amen? So uh, I think that's it. I uh, can't think of anything else. Gentlemen, if you come forward and we will pray over our service today. Let's wait one more time. Right there. Go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all the many blessings that you bless us with. Thank you for all this food and all these many people that we can have around us and enjoy with us. Please help uh, that you can bless us with this amazing church and just protect us all, all, all around and every day. Dear Heavenly Father, amen. Amen. If you'll stand with us, we're going to continue our time of worship. Danger into 
thinking this morning on the way in um, I listen to a lot of different things and and read and pray and everything but my mind went way back to when I was about seven years old and we used to have this magical time at my grandmother's house we'd all go over for dinner 
we would beg her. She would give in. We'd all get to spend the night. Because we knew spending the night meant playing freeze tag in the dark. She would let us. And I'm not a runner. I've never been a runner. If you see me running, please help me. Somebody's after me. But when I was a little kid, we would have a cedar tree that was base. And as long as you were near the base and you touched it, no matter who touched you, what touched you, you wouldn't get frozen. And I was thinking, you know, the devil plays freeze tag with us. If we're not close to home base, which is God, and we're too far away, I had little crazy cousins that they'd stay out on the fringes because they love being frozen. <laughs> but I always stayed near. I was never more than two steps from home base. And if we stay close to God, we won't get frozen and locked out when Satan comes to seek whom he can devour. If you're saved, he can't touch your soul. But we know from the story of Job, he can stir up a lot of stuff. And he'll do it for the people closest to you. So stay close to home base so that you can't be frozen out. Almost every problem I've ever had, I could have solved it with the wild card of choice if I made the choice toward God instead of the choice toward the world. So let's come to our prayer time now. Ask God to help you stay close to home base. Ask him to help you get that what you need to be closer to him.
Let's get going here. Uh, going to ask you to turn to the book of James. 
Let me take that back. I'm going to have you, well, go ahead and turn to James. And we're going to start off our first verse in Luke 5. I do need to preface this. And uh don't believe there's any young children that will be left in here. Is she going to stay in here? Okay, I just wanted to. Uh, we're going to touch on a subject matter to lay a foundation here before we really get going deep in this. But I, I want to challenge you this morning, please look past my tone, my deliverance, and, and, and understand that this is a going to be a very challenging series. But please don't walk away here feeling attacked, okay? Please don't walk away here feeling attacked. I want you to stay open-minded, open-hearted to what we're going to see driven by God's Word. Fair enough? And, and, and this, I say this because this is something we're going to touch on even this morning, a challenge that we have as believers that one of our responses when it comes to the Word of God can be defensive. And, and we don't want to do that. And the Scriptures is going to tell us we don't want to do that. So when it comes to our faith, when we talk about faith, which was mentioned, you know, it's one of those key words in scriptures. But in James, we know that true faith produces fruit. If you're going to have an active, thriving faith, it is going to be self-evident. So when you say they, they, are a very, they have a very faithful walk, they're a very faithful individual, that should be on the premise of that you see fruits of their spirit that come forth. Faith without action, James tells us. Faith without action, putting into works. And without, here's, here's the thing, this is one of those challenging points. Without life change is a dead faith. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Don't walk away here thinking I'm not saved. No, James says, the Holy Spirit says through James, that if your faith does not show a life change, It does not show action, bearing fruit. It is a dead faith. The book of James speaks to the realities of living, of a living faith in Jesus. A roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty type of spiritual walk. A faith that is born out of authentic and relevant or realistic relationship with our risen Lord and Savior. James writes to believers who know what suffering and trials are. Not getting too far ahead of myself, we see right off the bat in verse 1 that James is writing to the 12 tribes that have been, uh, you know, there's been diversion amongst them. They've been scattered abroad amongst Asia Minor and the world. And, and so he's writing to these Christians, these believers that are running physically for their lives. Beyond persecution, we're talking about death. In the name of Jesus Christ. So this is who he's writing to. And who ultimately, though they desire the deepest relationship they could have with Jesus. This is why he's writing them. Now, to accomplish such a faith ourselves, we must delve into our heart. And we have to examine our heart all the way through these series. we got to keep our minds open spiritually to the Word of God, and we got to do self-reflection. 
And I'm going to share something this morning. If we walk away with nothing other than an article I'm going to share, if we will dwell on that, because I can assure you, when I first read it, or it was shared with me and I read it, I was like, oh, good point. And it went from a good point to the Holy Spirit has been wrecking my spirit ever since I read this article. I hope it does the same to you. I hope it wrecks your faith as it has mine these past few days or weeks. So we got to examine. We got to thrive. We got to determine is our uh, faith thriving or is our faith on life support? One of the two. Now, we struggle to keep God forefront in our lives. That, that's a challenge for everybody. When I say keep God forefront, to, to, you know, measurably, where is God in our lives? Is God, as is, is Deborah talked about, home base, freeze tag. I remember playing freeze tag as a kid myself. I was one of her crazy cousins that would run all over the neighborhood, you know. I wasn't worried about base. I was just telling you, you couldn't catch me. So, But, <laughs> but we got to understand, where's our faith at? What's it grounded to? What are we basing it on? And to do that, it's going to be measured by how much God is in the forefront of our life. How much Jesus is front and center in our life. Is it an occasional thing? Is it only a Sunday morning thing? Is it only when I'm in a jam? You know, you got a jamming Jesus. When you're in a jam, you need Jesus. We got to understand where is Jesus? Is he in the forefront of our lives? That is a daily challenge. For Israel, such a faith was, ro was woven right into the fabric of their being. For the point being that they can no more forget about God than breathing. God was so immersed in his children through, his, through the nation of Israel to ensure and to empower them in their faith that God gave them over 613 guidances and commandments and laws through, through Leviticus alone. God was immersed in that nation of Israel. They couldn't avoid God if they tried to. Every time they did wrong, God was front and center dealing with it. Every time they did right, God was front and center and leading them and blessing them and guiding them. Israel couldn't avoid them. Today, our culture today, it don't take much to avoid God. You can avoid God very easily. doesn't mean God doesn't love us like he loves Israel. It's the exact same God. We just don't keep God forefront as the nation of Israel did. Question for us. If we're called to this same faith, which we are, that the nation of Israel was receiving by God, what's the difference between the New Testament church today in America and what Israel was going through then? Because there is a difference. There's a different culture in a big way today. So I was given this article to read. If you're on uh, Bible.com, if you're on our, our Bible app, you'll, I put the link on there for you. I probably should have had Mark put the link up. If you want to have the link to this article I'm going to read, I'll get it to you. Uh, I'm not going to read the thing word by word, but I'm going to get to the key points and the main points. It comes, it's written by David Reiser. David Reiser uh, is a Bible scholar who has taught uh, in, uh, in seminaries and 
and uh, in campuses around America, but he's also traveled the world speaking on behalf and teaching of Christ. And he writes this article that didn't come directly by him, but came by way of an encounter and challenged his life as well. He says, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching a school of ministry. My students were hungry and passionate for the Word of God. I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and become voices for the revival of the church in America. When I was teaching at a particular place, I shared with the students that Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship, which it did, an intimate walk hand in hand, the disciples, the apostles. Started with fellowship. From Palestine, it moved in to, the, to Greece, and in Greece, it became a philosophy. Without a doubt, it did. From Greece, it moved on through Italy, where it became institutionalized. Then it moved to Europe, and in Europe, it became a culture. It reformed a culture. You got, uh, you know, Spurgeon, you got, uh, 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 my mind just went blank. He wrote his thesis and hung it on the Catholic doors. Yes, yeah, Martin Luther, that changed the culture of Europe radically. Martin Luther and these men changed Europe with the Word of God. From Europe, it literally got on a boat and made it to America. When it first came to America, it landed in the hands of such men as D.L. Moody and such that brought about tremendous uh, you know, reformation to America. Unfortunately, in America, it became an enterprise. As he shared this with the students, understanding they were a little bit younger, he wanted to make sure there was clarity. He says, when I say enterprise, I mean a business. To which, that's, he said, this is when my life changed. He says, as I was speaking, he says, while this was not an open forum, I was intrigued that a young lady, not to me, rose back, felt moved to raise her hand to ask a question when that wasn't the format. Understanding that she must have much boldness and caught my attention, the Holy Spirit had me to stop my speaking and to address her. She said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but he said, I thought Christianity was about being a body. He said, her statement was so profound, he said, I had nothing to say, but yes, you're exactly right. Christianity is a body. You said, just when I started to speak, because there was a stillness, it took me back. Before I uttered the next word, she raised her hand again. Now she had everybody's attention for her to be speaking up so boldly. He said, I couldn't help but to acknowledge her and give her the floor again. She stood before the assembly. Hold your seats. Let me make sure I read exactly as she worded it. She says, if the church is supposed to be a body, and you said the body has now become a business, does that not mean that Christianity or Christians have become a prostitute? Hear what she just said. If the body has become a business, she says, isn't the body used for prostitution as a business? He said, I couldn't answer her. 
He said, but what I can tell you is that the Holy Spirit flooded the assembly. And not a word was spoken. He goes on, and like I said, I'll be happy to get you the link if you'd like it. He goes on to expand a little bit in more detail about the tragedy when it comes to the Christian faith in America. Not as a whole. Never, nothing's ever as a whole, but there are broad brushstrokes when it comes to such subject matters. Let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this morning, this opportunity to be challenged by your word. Help us to grow in your faith. In Christ's name, amen. My challenge for us this morning, each and every one of us, we got to make sure that we're not using our faith as approach as spiritual prostitution. Meaning, there's not much difference, he says in the article, between a lover and a prostitute. A lover loves willingly by choice. A prostitute will make you feel loved as long as there's payment in the end. Are we living a faith that is expecting or is expecting payment from God or Jesus in what we do? Or are we a true lover of Christ? Is he not the bridegroom? Are we not the bride? Or do we love conditionally? Long as I'm giving Jesus, long as I'm loving you, long as I'm doing this, then there's supposed to be blessings and miracles and everything I need. See, when we love like that, then we have to be honest. Are we a spiritual prostitute? Or are we simply a lover of Jesus? I told you, don't get offended this morning. This is what James calls us to. James is writing to the 12 tribes that are running for their lives and yet we're going to see in just the first three verses what he tells them to find all this joy in their situation. Another question I have for us this morning, if we get nothing more from the moment I'm speaking now for the rest of your life that God gives you on this earth, if you get nothing more than the fulfillment of your promised security in heaven and nothing else, is that enough for you to love Jesus? Or do we have religious expectations with our faith? That if I'm doing these things scripturally, then I'm supposed to be doing in my walk. How am I being, what am I reciprocating? How am I being paid in a sense? I'll say it again. Such a mindset in one's faith is spiritual prostitution of their faith. Let's read Luke chapter 5, 37 and 39. I know this isn't James. Lay a foundation here. It says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into what? Fresh wineskins. 
No one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. The point being, these wineskins they used back then were goatskins are sewed together, they seal, they'd seal it up tight. The reason when they made new wine, you needed new wineskins, that the old wineskins would become brittle and hard, you know, leather. Well, as the wine would grow and, you know, and fermentate, it, it, it expands. So if you don't have fresh wineskins, if you're not constantly, continually putting wine into fresh wineskins, when you put it in old woods, it would just, when it expands, it just rip and spill out. My point being, our hearts, our spirits have got to be like new wineskins. We got to stay fresh. We got to stay always wanting to receive more new wine from God, His Word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. If we become like an old wineskin, stiff, brittle, I'm comfortable how I am, I don't want to change, I don't want anything new, I like my purpose, I like my processes where I'm at. Then as we get new wine from the Lord, we just rip open and pour out, and nothing good comes of it. There's a religious fable that talks about a gentleman that was at a uh, flea market type of place, and, and he came across a mold. He's being one that always works in his shop, intrigued by little things. He finds this mold, but he can't discern what this mold is, but it just intrigues him. He wants, so he, he buys this mold. He says, I'll take it home, form it up with some wax, and I've curiosity. I'll see what this mold is. Buys it, goes home. Immediately goes out to his shop, he, he melts down some wax, pours it into the mold, waits a while, lets it cool. After it cools, he takes it out, and when he takes it out, he's shocked. Because what appeared to him was a gargle in this mold. Fiendish, it was hideous looking. And he was so taken back, that wasn't what he was expecting. He didn't want anything to do with this gargle, he says, man, no, no, no. He goes to throw it away, he goes, but as he thought, he goes, but I want to make something good out of this mold. So he thought and he thought, and he said, maybe I used inferior wax. It was some old wax I had laying around. So he went and purchased some, got his hands on some better quality wax, melted it down, poured it in there, cooled, broke it out of the mold. Same thing, the same gargoyle looked him back in the face. He was so disturbed by what was taking place because he just wanted something good. He didn't want something evil or just anything, you know, uncomfortable as a gargoyle. So he continued the process over and over. Different wax, different oil, everything he had cooled it faster, slower, everything. It didn't matter what he did, he ended up in the same place with the same gargoyle. The religious fable goes, it points out a moral to the story. And it goes like this. It doesn't matter what one puts into a religious system of worship and practice. Once it cools and hardens, what is left will be exactly like the old religious system in the old heart. Reli religiosity is incapable of producing a life-changing This kind of ties back into the wineskin. 
if we want our relationship, if we want our spiritual walk to be how I finally got it, how I want it. I, I spend a, enough time in my Bible and prayer and going to church that's comfortable for me. I've established my processes, my purpose, what works for me. Well, we're putting ourselves in this wineskin or this gargoyle mold. Meaning what goes into it will always be the same thing that comes out. It'll never be something new. It'll be, never be anything that takes us closer to Christ. Like the old wineskin, a believer can be prone to be too rigid in defining their relationship in and with Jesus, constraining Jesus to their expectations, their traditions, their desires, and the purpose they want out of Jesus rather than just the opposite. This is where James directs us concerning our faith. Is it alive and flourishing or is it cast into a mold of our choosing? The faith we're called to is a life-changing experience that God has for us. God intently wants to transform us into the image of his son. We're called to this life change, but it's a calling. If we choose to hold on to our wineskin and our molds, we will always produce the same thing. The series, A Journey That Produces a Fruitful Faith, is what we're going to look at. We must understand, again, we're, that he's the bridesmaid, Christ. We're, excuse me, we're the bridesmaid. He's the groom. You think of Matthew 25. Remember the ten virgins? When the, the shopkeeper came, five virgins were prepared. Their lamps were full of oil. The other ones had burnt theirs. They were out. And they come beating on the door at night. We need oil for our lamps. See, we want to be the five that are in good standing. We want to be five that are full of the Holy Spirit, full in the fullness of Christ. We want to be ones whose light is constantly shining and burning, producing fruit, being an example of what Christ called us to be. I want to go back to Dr. Reisner's article. I know it's not pleasing to hear or to address, but it's so relevant. The question we must address in this series is the fact is where does our faith stand? Are we a faithful lover or are we spiritual prostitutes? It all depends on how we live our faith, how we walk in our faith. That has wrecked my soul personally over the last couple of weeks being honest with you and I said before not bragging it's just what the Holy Spirit gave me my spiritual gift is faith that's my gift and you've heard me get up here in a roundabout way brag about it. it's just easy for me not that I'm perfect but it's easy for me to read God's Word and just do it because that's my gift it's not because of my spiritual maturity it's a gift and when I exercise my gift it's just easy to exercise so when I started studying for this series of James and looking into faith and just how, you know, how much it just feeds my spiritual gift, when I read this article, 
when I first read it, I was like, the person who sent it, I just responded, oh, good truth. Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. You ain't getting off that easy, Scooter. I was like, oh, that's a good truth. Yeah, that's my spiritual gift. I, yeah, I see where he's coming from. Holy Spirit, no, Todd, you don't see where he's coming from. I know there's others in here that have that gift, the spiritual gift of faith. The thing is about faith, you never arrive to the fullness of faith. Whew, 60 years old. Took me a while. I was a slow starter. Jesus was a long-suffering patient, but I got there. No, even with the gift of faith, you don't get there. We don't get to anything as believers until we enter into glory. That's when we get somewhere. So it doesn't matter what our spiritual gift is. In this particular subject, we're talking about faith. If you happen to have the gift of faith, Todd cannot be boisterous enough to think that a few years in the ministry that he's arrived at faith because he hasn't. And as I challenged myself and as I just, just tried to kind of just skip through it a little bit, it keeps on coming back every single day as I got into God's Word for this series, back to this article. Where's your heart at, Todd? What are you expecting out of the ministry I gave you? Are you willing to to fulfill the call I put on your life, no matter what comes of it? Or are you kind of expecting to have some spiritual carrots at the end of the line, so to speak, for doing what I called you to do? I thought, wow, how easy it is concerning faith to be a spiritual prostitute. When we start expecting or think that something's going to come our way because of what we're doing by faith. Or can we live as just a lover? Can we love Christ unconditionally of where our journey takes us? The 12 tribes he was writing to, they were scattered abroad. Can we love Jesus when we're running for our spiritual life? Can we love Jesus when we have death that's wrecked our family? Can we love Jesus when we're plagued with illness and disease? Can we love, love Jesus when children have gone wayward and, and hurt the family and hurt and take advantage of all that was invested in them? Or does it cause us to pull back and say, well, what did church do me? What did reading the Bible? What is all these prayers? How did I end up here? What are you doing for me, Jesus? How did you allow this to come about, Jesus? Jesus this, Jesus that. Where are you, Jesus? Do something, Jesus. If we start putting expectations and demands, now don't get me wrong, we are boldly supposed to go before the throne of God and lift up our prayers to him knowing that he is faithful and just and he will answer and bless and deal with every problem we have according to his purpose. In Romans eight twenty eight, and to those that are called according to his will. Let's jump into, let me read one more, John chapter 6, because Peter found himself in a defining moment when it came to his faith. Jason and I were talking about this after Sunday school in the lobby. 
in John chapter 6, Jesus' ministry is, is growing. The, the disciples are following him. Uh, again, I've said it many times. Historians say, you know, easily probably 100 or a little bit more disciples were now walking with Christ. And Christ gives one sermon about eat his flesh and drink his blood if you're going to be his disciple. And it says they, they walked with him no more. They couldn't deal with that. Now, that's too radical of a faith. And the multitude of the disciples, so-called, quit following him. And Jesus turned to his 12 chosen. He says, are you also going to leave me? And Peter, in his boldness, spoke up and said, so Jesus, or excuse me, 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. To simplify that, Peter said, <laughs> there ain't no option two, three, four, or five. There's only one option. And we're all in, Jesus. We're all in, in their case, to death, just like Christ. They died in their faith. They died in surrendering their life. They walked away, dropped their nets, and followed Jesus unconditionally. They didn't put any expectations, any demands, any wants. All those left after one sermon in John chapter 6. Their faith could not measure up to God's calling. It was too radical for them, too sacrificial. So let's jump to James this morning. I was going to read verses 1 through 12. I, I'm just going to jump into this for time's sake because I, I really spent this time laying this foundation and, and challenging us. But we're going to look at the first three verses of James, and uh, we'll pick out some verses on through verse 12. But after the service, if you want to go back and read James 1 through 12 in context, but the first thing we notice, it says here in verse 1, it says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in dispersion of greetings. King James, it says, scattered abroad. I'm reading out of the ESV this morning. For simplicity, King James says, scattered abroad. Same word, dispersion. They've been dispersed. And they're running. You see the same thing in Acts chapter 8 took place. This persecution in Jerusalem had gotten so great the believers had to run for their lives. They had to disperse themselves everywhere to avoid the persecution, the hardships that were coming their way. And James writing them, he's writing them to encourage them. And rightfully so. We should all be encouraging one another in their walk, lifting each other up in prayer. And James is encouraging these great believers. They're running for their lives. But notice how he encourages them he challenges them in their encouragement by way of true faith. James is saying, hey, I know they're trying to kill you, but. Don't know exactly what the letter said to him, but. but. Look what James tells them in his encouragement to them in verse 2. My brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, count it all joy. 
How would you like to be in a situation in life that you're emotionally and you're spiritually running for your well-being, for your mind's sake? I don't know if I can take anymore. I can't deal with anymore. I'm overburdened. I'm scared. I'm doubtful. Anxiety. Whatever emotion we're dealing with, and you're spiritually, emotionally running for your life, and a brother or sister in Christ writes you a letter, and you open it up, and maybe it's for me. He's oh, Todd's writing me. He said, hey, I, I just want to encourage you. And you go, oh, man, thank goodness Todd's writing me. I just want to encourage you to be joyful in where you're at. How would that read to your spirit? Whoa, 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 wait a second. What do you mean be joyful where I'm at? I thought you was writing me to encourage me, not to take joy and what's taking place in my life. But this, app, this, uh, this scripture, excuse me, is so relevant. It's so relevant to James teaching us about our faith in Christ and the strength of it. Life can't get worse, but be joyful about it. Be joyful that you got trials and temptations abounding you. Meaning, hey, James is saying, Hey, you got an opportunity here. Be joyful. You think, what opportunity? And James obliges and gives us reason why we should be joyful. Because he goes on to verse 3 and tells us, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or the Greek word patience. It'll say patience in the King James. Oh, wait a second. Correct me if I'm wrong, but as I'm reading this letter of encouragement to be joyful in my trials and temptations and the persecution about me, that I'm supposed to be joyful, now you're turning around that I should seek and realize I got this great opportunity, and this opportunity lies in long-suffering? Tell me if I'm wrong, but does this letter not sound like it's going from bad to worse? I think it would in a lot of people's faith. This isn't going the direction I want. But this is the test God wants us to, he wants to use in our life. James is saying we should cherish this. We should cherish trials and temptations. We should cherish hardships. Not because the Lord's punishing us, because the Lord wants to the best for us and there's only one way he can bring that about if he just blesses us because we prayed for it we don't appreciate those blessings and those blessings will be squandered because nothing was learned in the blessing other than getting what you want give a child everything they want and then get back with me when they're about who knows i guess nine years old to 18 years old and let me know how that worked out for them just answering all their blessings for them they'll learn no accountability they'll learn no maturity they'll learn no life application it's the same thing for us spiritually we wonder why god won't just always answer our prayers and no matter how hard we pray sometimes it's just like i can't get god to answer my prayers God says, no, I'm, I'm answering your prayers. 
I'm answering your prayers for you to endure this trial and temptation. What I'm wanting you to do is find joy and patience in it that the outcome, back to Romans 8, 28, all things work for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. You get through the trials and the tribulations and the suffering, and you hold your joy and you be long-suffering, you're going to find a blessing you never had before. This word testing is the same word used in 1 Peter 1.7. I think Mark might have it for us there. Yeah, that the trial, the test of your faith, being much more precious of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with what? Fire. It doesn't say tried with blessings, does it? Tried with fire might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means when Christ appears, when we endure this fire, these trials and temptations, and he strengthens us to us that when we stand before our Lord and Savior, it's going to bring about glory of the Lord upon us as we stand before the one that saved us. This word test is, in the Greek, if you pull the word out, it's a word we get smeltering or to smelt. Do you know anything about smelting? Not that I do, looking it up. But you're familiar with the process. You've heard it probably in illustrations. Is when they would take gold or silver, put it in a vat, turn up the heat extremely high. And when you do that, and the gold and silver or metals, impurities float to the top. It, smel it, it smelts them out of the, and then they scrape it off called the drees. They, they, they scrape it off, and then once they get it off, they turn the heat up more. And they keep on, to by human standards, they can get to where you see on a bar of gold or silver, 90 or 9, or is it 99 point, however many nines there are. It gets all the impurities out of the gold and silver to it's refined and it's precious. The reason the Lord intently used that word in this illustration in 1 Peter 1, 7, that's what our trials, and that's why James is saying, count it all joy. Count it all joy that the Lord is turning up the heat on you a little bit. The scriptures tell us that he'll never ask us to endure or take on more that he'll give us the power to endure. Now, we may choose to jump out of the frying pan, as the adage goes, and we do, where do we usually end up? In the same fire we didn't like anyway, but he's not going to put more trials and tribulations and testing on us that we can endure. question is, are we willing to find the joy and the patience in going through it? Not in the fact of the, of the emotional and spiritual struggle and the pain you're suffering. That's not where the joy lies. The joy lies in the fact that Jesus is pulling something good out of us that we can't get to on our own. If we can get to it on our own, would we be coming to Jesus? No. We're coming to Jesus for what we need. He says, I'll get you there. Do we want to find joy and patience in that? A point this morning kind of goes in line with I asked you to stay open-minded and open heart. we got one to three choices when it comes to such trials and tribulations. One is unwillingness. We're like the wineskin. Unwilling to change. 
nope, I don't want new wineskin. I like the wineskin I have. I like the, the pouch I have. I don't want to change. It may be hard. It may be rigid. It may be, un, you know, unable to be formed and shaped. So be it. But that's, that's me, and that's a process and the purpose, you know, I want in my life and my relationship with Jesus. It's an unwillingness to put on new wineskin, an unwillingness to grow, or two, a spirit of discouraged with God in the trials, and we just want Jesus. I don't know about all the stuff. I just want to need Jesus to meet my needs. And when we don't get our needs, our needs met, we get discouraged. Or three, we can be what James calls us to be. We can be op, you know, opportun, opportunistic. We can be joyful. We can endure and grow in patience, knowing that what comes out of it will be all that God wants for it, and we'll be producing the fruit that Christ asks us to produce. So you can be unwilling, you can be discouraged, or, or opportunistic. That's our choice. Look at a couple more verses with me, and we'll start wrapping this up. It comes out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted... This is who James was writing to, the 12 tribes. Persecuted for the righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Oh, yeah, blessed are they who, who others revile, uh, revile you and persecute you and utter, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, joyful, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Meaning any trial, persecution, tribulation we're going through, there's been endless amount of people that have already been there before us and gone through it. You're not the first one. You and I aren't the first one to be where we are sometimes. It goes on to say in Romans 5, 3 through 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, patience. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we're going to, these have a, these, the Sermon on the Mount and the Scripture out of Romans, it has a lot of correlation with James, and, and we'll, We'll break that down and decipher that as we go through this series and touch back on that. But looking at these verses, what we realize, what God wants to do is not just to make us happy. He wants to make us holy. God's not worried so much about our happiness. He's worried about our holiness. Because when we find holiness, it will come with happiness. I can assure you. He wants us to be a reflection of Him. And, and it's the trials and the sufferings that makes us more like Christ. He says He wants to mature us, to complete us. He says He wants us to lack nothing. Well, why won't Jesus just do what I'm asking Him to do? Because He wants more for you than you're asking for. But to get what He wants, i.e., It'll be lacking nothing on our part is a process he's going to take us through. 
He's just asking for joy and patience along the way. So if we made this our goal, our spiritual life goal, that we want to start growing in our joy and our patience to the holiness Jesus calls us to, even if it meant suffering or continues in our current suffering, if that's where your journey's at right now, how would that change your life? How would that change our life if we made that our goal? What decisions would we have to make differently? Maybe we have to start putting Jesus back to the forefront of our life in every aspect of our life. Not seasonal. Not, I got a lot going on. I just can't have Jesus and be involved in Jesus and church and walking. and do, I just can't do that right now. I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I got some interests. It's just not me. I just have a hard time staying motivated to go. See, we got to overcome these challenges. These things of the flesh that separate us from Jesus being the forefront of our life. Are we willing to surrender every aspect of our life? Or do we want to stay in the wineskins we have? Again, we're going to be unwilling, discouraged, or we're going to be opportunistic. What do we want? There's an analogy about a cake. Which I love cake. But when you think of a cake, you, you got milk, and you got eggs, and you got sugar, and you got sugar, and you got, did I say sugar? You got sugar, and, and, and butter, and, you know, say more butter is always better with more butter, but... You know, you throw in some flour. You, you got all these different ingredients. In and of themselves, you don't taste them individually, do you? And some of these individually aren't appealing. Just eating a bowl of flour is not real appealing or just a stick of butter. But yet, when you put all these together, and all this is mixed up and turned up and kneaded or whatever you do with cakes, I don't know. Thank goodness Sam's a baker. I just like the eating part. But with all that mess she does in there, what I get out of it is exactly what I want. Is what I was expecting. And it's good, isn't it, Rex? Right? Amen, brother, preach it. Yeah, it's good. Well, that's the end of what God wants to do in our lives. But it takes some mixing and a lot of ingredients to get us what he has for us that's going to be pleasing to us and it's going to be satisfying but see that's all our full potential in Christ that's reaching that full potential and getting where God wants us he goes on to say in a few more verses here in verse 4 it says but let steadfastness patience have its full effect I was patient for a little bit. No, let it have its full effect. That you may be perfect. That's the Greek word mature. And complete, lacking nothing. That's our end result. That's what we desire. To be without want. Jesus says, hey, I can get you there. Come, follow me. Drop your nets, pick up your cross, and follow me. And I'll get you there. How many times do we find our faith incomplete, lacking fullness, lacking maturity, 
and we find ourselves always wanting or needing. Lord, James goes on and gives us the answer. Look what he says in verse 5. If any lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You don't know why you're going through your why you're going through, why this season is so long, why these trials and tribulations are upon you? Well, seek the one that has the answer. He'll reveal it to you. He'll show you where he's leading you. He's not going to say, shut up and be quiet, I'll tell you when we get there. That's the way we drive our kids on vacation, you know? Shut up, be quiet, I'll tell you when we stop, we're there. No, God's not like that. God will talk to us, and he'll tell us where he's taking us. Pray. Pray all the way through it. Seek God. Come boldly before the throne. Cry out to what you don't understand and what you're seeing in this process. Ask for clarity of the process. But stay joyful and stay patient while you're praying. If not, then he tells us in verse 8 that a double-minded man is unstable in his ways. Meaning, don't come boldly before God and pray and then walk away when you get up off your knees with doubt or impatience or wanting to give up. That's a double-minded man. That's not holding to the process to being more like Christ. And then I'll close with this. I love verse 12, what it tells us. Blessed is the man. Remember back to the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed is the man who remains steadfast, patient, under trial. For when he has stood the test, when all the impurities have been scraped off, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those that love him. That's what we want. We want that crown of life that has promised us. But we can't be jumping in and out of our faith. We got to find a commitment, a surrender. And, and, and I'm telling you guys, I, I, I'm not a theologian. I know when I say certain things, I've been more times you know, where you're at than me. And I know when I say things, how it's perceived. But when I say it means stay and plugged in at church, I know first thing people say, oh, you don't just have to go to church. I, I know that. That's not my point. But if we can't stay plugged into a unit, to a body of believers moving and growing, how are we going to follow the other directions and commandments of God? Because that's the easiest one. Making church, making servitude of your spiritual gift, being part of a unit that, that is feeding each other and feeding the community, that's as simple as your faith walk is going to get. That's the easy part. If God can't get us committed, he's not going to get us far down the line. Those that endure will receive his promise. Final question this morning but it has to be answered do we want god smelting us are we willing to say let's go i'm all in lord i surrender let's go turn up the heat get out of me what needs to get out of me get those things out of my life that are hindrances 
give me those things that are emotional or mental roadblocks, those things that are bottom line or excuses that are keeping me away from your will in my life. Remember, it's a roll up your shirt sleeve faith. God's going to say, are you serious? If you say yes, then get ready for a little heat. Not because he's got to punish you first, but he's serious about what he says. And he's going to, the first thing he's going to do is get out of our lives the things that are hindering us being all that God wants us to be for his glory and our good. This is the faith that we're called to in scriptures. How we respond? Unwilling, discouraged, or opportunistic. That part's up to us. Amen? Thank you for allowing me to go a little long and lay this foundation this morning. Uh, I think some of it grabbed our hearts or got our attention by some of your expressions. But now we'll be able to start walking through this verse by verse and unpacking the faith that God's calling us to. Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for nothing else, your word that reveals your love for us. Father, I know that article is... Uh, challenging <laughs> they're not pleasing words but we got to be honest are we a lover or are we playing the role of a spiritual prostitute are we expecting our faith to have a payment so to speak our payment was given on the cross it paid the debt of our sin and we didn't deserve that father we don't want to be playing games with our faith we don't want to be looking towards you as a, you know, give and get type of relationship. Father, we want to have a faith that is full of joy and patience, knowing that it will bring the fullness of your spirit about in us. It will be to your glory, and it will always be to our good. And by your word, it promises us we'll lack nothing. If we'll stay patient, blessed is the man that remains patient. I pray this series will challenge us. I think it will, and pray that it will break some of these strongholds on our life that separate us from a thriving faith, a flourishing faith that brings forth the fruit, which is the whole purpose of this, that we become fruitful by way of our faith and our journey. As the music plays, as the Lord leads you, maybe there's something today that would be a good first step. Go to, you know, to tear down a wall, to break loose a vice that's used to hinder our walk, or hinder our walk, excuse me. But it starts with us. We want to be just where we're at, and we don't want to move. Then we, we're like the wineskin. It's going to be hard to take on more that Jesus has for us.
discouragement, and we lose our patience. We seek the opportunity the Lord has for us. We start finding the fullness of Christ. over them and keep the protection around them and all of us at all times. Thank you for your servants that are here today. Thank you for the many blessings that you give us through the kingdom of Most of all, Jesus, who died for our sins on the cross. And we pray. Amen.